Uh, I want us to uh, start off this morning uh, in prayer. I, I don't typically start my message in prayer because up to this point we've already prayed quite a bit. And, uh, but uh, today's topic uh, it hits home, I think, for a lot of us. And uh, I was hoping that maybe we could just begin to pre- prepare our hearts for God, what God wants to speak to us. Uh, this is going to be challenging one, uh, I know, for many of you. And, uh, and so could we just do that? Could we start off? It's been a crazy morning for me. I don't know if it's the weather. You know, it's like 80 degrees last week, 30 degrees this week. It's awful. Uh, but I, I have officially become a Texan uh, where I go out, and if it's below 50, I'm like, what is wrong with this weather? It's awful. <laughs> Came from Oregon, and, you know, you would think I'd handle it, but I don't. I got a sweater on. I got a jacket on. I got long underwear on under this. <laughs> I'm serious. Don't picture it, but it's true. Uh, definitely, let's start off with some prayer. Uh, Father, we, uh, we prepare our hearts for what you want to do in us. Uh, God, in all of these weeks of this series, uh, they've been um, equally as challenging. But today, as we talk about relationships and we talk about uh, those who have hurt us and those who uh, we have hurt, uh, this can be very, very difficult and, and touchy. And so, Lord, I, I pray for all of us that our hearts would be open and receptive to the transformational work that you would do in our life today. That the enemy of our soul would uh, invite us to leave from this place the same way that we walked in. And yet your heart for us is to leave transformed and healed from the hurt of our past. So, Lord, today we give it to you, and we trust you, and we trust that what you want to do in us is going to bring, bring life and life abundantly, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we're in this series uh, on freedom, and over the past uh, four weeks now, or five weeks, uh, is that right? Four, five, four weeks? It's been, this is week five. Uh, is that right? Is this week five? This is week six. See, I've lost track. I can't. I took math for ministers, so, you know, I can only go so high. Um, in fact, they teach you in Bible college, don't, go, don't do a series more than four weeks because you lose track. Um, so this is an eight-week series. This is week six. So in the past five weeks, we've uh, taken the word recovery, and it's based upon a, a book uh, called Life's Healing Choices, and we've used the word recovery as an acronym. Uh, and just as a refresher for those of you who may not have been here in the past uh, few weeks or for those of you who have, in your notes, the first week we uh, realize that we're not God, that we just recognize that although we may want to control everything, we may want to um, control our, our life and our future and all of that, that we are not God. And then second week, we uh, earnestly believe that God exists, that I'm not God, but there is a God, and he's the one that gets to control everything. He, he's the one that gets to uh, rule and lead my life. Uh, when I consciously commit all my life and will to Christ's care and control. And then we openly examine and confess our faults. I know it's difficult for us to uh, uh, evaluate and take an inventory of our life, but that when we consciously, or excuse me, when we openly examine and confess those faults to God, uh, to uh, myself and to someone I trust, uh, that's when healing begins to take place. And then voluntarily submit to every change that God wants to make in my life. So we're going to get into uh, the other E on, uh, on the acronym. 
before we do that, I wanted to um, tell you a little bit about, like, have you ever noticed in, um, in the newspaper, if they print something that's a mistake, they'll often come back with a correction. So there's like these correction sections of the newspaper. And it's interesting to me, I don't know if you, anybody ever pays a whole lot of attention to them, but some of them are pretty funny. Uh, there was one that, uh, it was a headline uh, on an item on the February 5th edition of the Inquirer Bulletin. It incorrectly stated uh, stolen groceries. What it should have read was homicide, you know, because they're similar. Uh, due to incorrect information received from the clerk uh, of court's office, Diane Merchant, 38, was incorrectly listed as being fined for prostitution. The change should have been for failure to stop at a railroad crossing. You talk about changing someone's life, right? They're like, hey, Diane, I was reading the newspaper the other day, and uh, you got some herds, habits, and hang-ups that you want to talk about? Okay. But every now and then, sometimes in their attempt to make amends and correct the wrong that they've done for somebody... Uh, they actually make it worse. Like uh, a recent article, uh, they referred to the chairman of the Chrysler Corporation as Lee LaCuckoo, which was incorrect. His real name is Lee LaCaca. Like, yeah, you could have just left that and not made it worse. I don't even know if I can say that in church, but I did, so... what? What the newspapers are trying to do is they're trying to make these corrections and they're trying to make right something that they've wronged. And that's what this step is in the road to recovery. Uh, I was trying to make it a little bit light at the beginning because honestly, it, it's not light for the rest of the message. So, uh, you know, typically we try to interject some humor here and there. Uh, today isn't going to be that. It's the other letter E in the acrostic, and it's evaluate all my relationships. And this is in your notes. To offer forgiveness to those who have hurt me and make amends for harm that I've done to others. And then there's an exception to this step, except when to do so would harm them or others. This is based on the passage of Scripture from Ephesians chapter Four, verse 31 and 32, get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. So there's this step, and I've, there's obviously two parts to this step. First, forgive those who have hurt you, and then second, make amends for those in whom you have hurt. Uh, and so we're going to cover both of those topics this morning. But the first thing that I want to address is the question, why should I do this? Why should I step into this place of forgiveness for those people who have hurt me in my life? And the simple answer, or the first part of the simple answer, is because God forgave you. And if God has forgiven me, I should be able to forgive others. Colossians says, never hold grudges. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. When I remember how much God forgives me, it makes it a whole lot easier to forgive other people. And I'll never be asked to forgive anybody else more than what God has forgiven me. 
See, when we have a hard time forgiving other people, it's usually because we don't feel forgiven by God. Because people who feel forgiven find it easier to be forgiving. The second reason is because resentment doesn't work. It just doesn't. It's unreasonable. It's unhelpful. In fact, it's even unhealthy. If you look at the life of Job in chapter 5 of his chapter, it says, To worry yourself to death with resentment would be a foolish, senseless thing to do. It would be foolish. He says resentment is foolish because it's illogical. Ecclesiastes 6.9 says it's foolish to harbor a grudge. It's irrational. It's a waste of energy. It's a waste of your time. It's unreasonable. And then in chapter 8 of Job's uh, chapter, he says you're only hurting yourself with your anger in in Job 18.4. See, it's unhelpful because we always hurt ourselves more than anybody else. When you get angry or resentful towards somebody, you don't hurt them. You end up hurting yourself. You're worrying, you're stewing, you're spewing about this thing that happened, and it's not bothering them. It's, It's not affecting them because they've probably already forgot about it. Somebody that hurt you 20 years ago, 30 years ago, and you're still stewing about it, they don't even remember that it happened. Resentment cannot change the past. It cannot correct the problem. It doesn't change the person. It doesn't even hurt that person. It only hurts us. It makes us miserable. Does it make you feel any better in your life when you have resentment and bitterness and and anger? I've never talked to anybody in my office that sits down and says, Ryan, I've got so much resentment and so much bitterness in my life it just makes me happy. It just brings so much joy into my life. It's, that never happens. The most unhappy people I know are those who are carrying this grudge, and it's unreasonable and it's unhelpful. In Job chapter 21, it says, Someone, uh, Some men stay healthy till the day that they die. Others have no happiness at all. They live and die with bitter hearts. Research has shown that the unhealthiest emotion that people can have is resentment. It's like cancer. It, it just eats at you from within. Have you ever said to anybody, you know what? This guy, this person, this woman is a pain in my neck. It's because they literally can cause a pain in your neck. right? That statement is, although more or less an analogy of something, it actually can be true that to your health, resentment and anger and bitterness can cause unhealthy things in our life. Dr. S.I. McMillan wrote a book that showed that the two greatest causes of the physical problems in your life are guilt and resentment. He said, it's not so much what you eat, thank you, Jesus, it's what eats at you, right? It's it's what eats at you inside. It's, it's this resentfulness. It has physical consequences. It has emotional consequences. It leads to depression. It can lead to additional stress in your life. It can lead to fatigue because nothing drains you more emotionally, uh, nothing drains you emotionally more than bitterness in your life. And I don't think there's anybody in this room that's ever experienced resentfulness or bitterness or anger in their life that would disagree with that. It's just tiring. 
It's, get, it's, it's tiring and it wears us out. When we think of that, that person or that former girlfriend or that former boyfriend or husband or wife, that person who embarrassed you in school or that parent who never told you that they loved you, that person that you were dating and just dropped you, didn't even bother to, to call or, or even explain anything. It just drains your body of energy. It prolongs the hurt. We have to get to a place to where we can forgive those who have hurt us. If not for them, like for our own sake, for our own health, for our own well-being. Listen, we, we live in a community that is all about health. I see people running all the time, and I think, I should go running. And then I don't. But they're all about health. You want to be healthy, begin with forgiveness. And then third, because I need forgiveness in the future. Mark chapter 11, verse 25, when you are praying, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Resentment blocks feeling of God's forgiveness in our life. The Bible says that we cannot receive what we're unwilling to give. It's dangerous to pray the Lord's Prayer where it says, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, because now all of a sudden we're saying, "Uh, okay, as much as I've forgiven other people, God, I want to receive your forgiveness in my life. That's dangerous. We need to forgive other people because God's forgiven us, because resentment doesn't work, and because you need forgiveness in the future. You don't want to burn the bridge that you've got to walk across. Forgiveness is a two-way street. A guy came to John Wesley one time, and he said, I can never forgive that person, never. And John Wesley's response was, well, I hope you never sin, because we all need what we don't want to give. So how? I mean, it's, it's one thing to say, well, hey, we, we need to forgive people. Turn the other cheek. Just be loving people. We're Christ followers. We need to love people and forgive them. But how? How do we do that? Well, number one in your notes, we have to reveal our hurt. We have to admit it. We have to let it out. We have to be honest. We have to face it. We, we, we can't get over our hurt unless we're willing to admit that we've actually been hurt in the first place. I don't know why. I think it's probably a pride thing. I think it's a, a, a facade that it's, hey, we want to keep this mask on or this facade that says, you can't hurt me. Oh, yeah, that thing you said about me, it doesn't hurt. But words hurt. And we are hurt. But we're not willing to admit it. We have a misunderstanding that you can't love somebody, and be angry at them at the same time. You actually can. There was a person in counseling who uh, was expressing the fact about her parents and and saying that she had forgiven her parents, but that uh, in, in the forgiveness of her parents, there was kind of this clause that they, she said, they did the best that they could. And in further conversation, it was discovered that the reality was that she had never forgiven her parents. She was just using that, that phrase, they did the best that they could, as kind of this excuse to continue to be angry at them, when in reality, as a parent, you know that we can't do the best that we can, right? I mean, we, we're human. We are going to make mistakes. The goal is to not screw up our kids the best possible. 
Right? I'm not saying that we can't try. I'm not saying that we work at it. I'm not saying that we don't use biblical principles to raising our children. But at the end of the day, we are not perfect. And there will be something along the way that, that messes things up. And in this case, this woman was in denial. She, the reality was that she couldn't admit that it was possible that her parents could hurt her. When in reality, they could. You can't forgive what you don't own up to. You can't forgive what you can't admit to. The people have hurt us. So you got to first reveal that you're hurt. You have to admit it. You have to put it down on paper. You, you've got some options when it comes to hurt. You can repress it. You can re pretend that it never happened. It doesn't exist. You can ignore it. You can push it out of the way. But I'm telling you that never, ever, ever works. It always pops up in some form of compulsion, hurt, habit, hang up, all of the things that we're talking about, that resentment will spring up at some point. We can say it's no big deal. It doesn't matter. Right? We've said that. It's not that big of a deal. They did the best that they could. No, they hurt you. They hurt you. And we have to confess it. We have to admit it. I've had people say, I'd really like to close the door on my past. I'd like to get closure so this person doesn't hurt me anymore. I say, great, but there's no closure without disclosure. You, you, you're never going to have closure unless you're willing to admit that there's actually closure that's needed. You have to reveal it. You have to own up and say, that hurt. And it was wrong. So what do we do? We make a list. We don't like it, right? Because when we start making a list, it means actually we're admitting it and we're putting things down on paper. But we make a list of all of those who have harmed us, what they said, what they did, what they thought. And you begin to put it down on paper and you get it in black and white and you begin to take a look at it. And it's no longer this fuzzy thing from my past that I resent, but it's actually specific. Think about the teacher who embarrassed you. The parent who said, you'll, you'll never amount to anything. You're a failure. The former relationship that was unfaithful to you, you just write it down and you reveal your hurt. Number two, you release your offender. You let him go. You stop holding on to the, to the hurt. You say, well, how do I do that? How do I release the offender? You do it by forgiving them. It's the only way you can actually release them. You don't wait for them to ask for forgiveness. If you're waiting for somebody who has hurt you to ask you for forgiveness, you are going to be waiting a very, very, very long time. God has forgiven you, and that's why you need to come to a place of forgiveness. Because resentment doesn't work. It just makes you miserable. So you release your offender and you forgive them for your own sake. Well, how often do I have to do it? How often do I have to forgive and release my offender? As often as it takes. Scripture talks about uh, forgiving somebody 70 times 7. In other words, like this never stops. It's continual. Forgiveness isn't a one-shot deal where you say, I forgive them. That's it. I'm good. 
No, those feelings are going to keep coming back. And every time you get those feelings, you get to forgive them again and again and again. It's not a one-shot deal. It's a repeated issue. It's got to be continual. Jesus says over and over, and every time they come to mind, you forgive them again until you've released them fully. It could take 300 times in your situation. And I'm mindful of the fact that everybody's circumstance and situation is different. Your hurt may be more extreme than my hurt. And you could say, well, Ryan, it's so easy for you to stand there and say that I'm supposed to forgive 300 times. It's easy for you to say you don't know what they've done to me. And you're absolutely right, I don't. But I know God. And I know what it's doing to you. And I know how it's eating at you. And I know that if you could get to a place of forgiveness, not letting people hurt you again, that's a whole nother conversation. I'm just saying, when it comes to your mind, could you say, I forgive them? I forgive them. How do you know if you've released an offender fully? Well, you can think about them, and it doesn't hurt anymore. You can pray for God's blessing on their life. You're like, you are out of your mind. You get to a place where you've released them when you can pray for them and pray a blessing over them. You, you release them when you can look at them and begin to understand their hurt rather than focusing on how much you hurt. Because as we say all the time, hurt people hurt people. And you begin to understand. You keep forgiving them you, until, you, until you think of them and it doesn't hurt anymore. You say, well, how do you forget a divorce? How do you even get past something like that? You can't, but you can get rid of the pain. You may not be able to forget about it, but you can get rid of the pain. You can let go of it. In releasing the offender, it's not always possible. It's not even always advisable, by the way, for you to go back to somebody who has hurt you. Their circumstances may have changed. Maybe your parents hurt you. They didn't even know that they hurt you, but maybe that your parents hurt you. And for you to go back to them 40 years later, say, I want to talk to you about some things. <laughs> it will blow them away. They, they won't even know what you're talking about. And so circumstances change. People change. Some people have remarried. Some people have moved away. You don't even know where they are. Some people have uh, even passed People who have hurt you are no longer with us, and so you, there's no way that you could ever go back and, uh, and forgive them. Like, there's no possible way. So what do you do in those circumstances? It's called the, uh, the empty chair technique, where as crazy as it sounds, you sit a chair there, and you write a letter, and you begin writing a letter that you never send, FYI, and you don't put it on your phone to where you could accidentally text it to somebody, you just write it down like with a real, real pen and real piece of paper, and you begin to write it, and you sit there into that empty chair. You talk about how you've been hurt, and you release them from the pain that they've caused you. And you say it to the chair. Another way to do it is, is, to, uh, is to just write it down and get it down on paper uh, one of the things that we did, actually, in, in an exercise like this is we had a couple of our elders uh, come up uh, front here 
uh, in, a, in like a conference that we were doing, and we gave people the opportunity that never had a chance to um, forgive their parents of something that had taken place in their life. And they came forward, and to each of this husband and wife, they were able to speak. There's an older couple. They were able to say, I forgive you for what you did in my life. I mean, you know, I put our elders into a spot because they didn't do anything. They're innocent in this situation, but they come up, and they just received everything that, that people had, the hurt that had been caused to them, and they just embraced them and loved them and cared for them. It's like finding somebody who's, who's maybe older, somebody who you can trust, who you, who you know, just be able to speak it and be able to confess it and say, that hurt me. And do it for your own sake. You release them so that you can experience freedom in your life. And number three, we have to replace our hurt with God's peace. Let the peace of Christ rule in our hearts. You say, how? How can I have peace? It's, it's not fair. If I forgive them, then they get away with it. That's what we think, right? But the reality is, is they don't. God's going to settle the score. He's going to take care of this. He's going to handle the situation. And as difficult as it is, because most of us think that we are God, right? We think that we are better at handling this situation than he is. So we realize that we're not God. We earnestly believe that God exists. And we trust God to handle these situations. And he will. He is a just God. He is a fair God. God's going to to settle the score. The Bible says that, that one day God will settle the score. And he's going to call into accounts. He's going to balance the books. And one day he's going to have the last word. So let God have the last word. He'll take care of it. It's, It's why we believe in heaven and a hell. Jesus talked more about hell than he did even about heaven. But if there's not a hell, then people like Hitler get away with it, right? They go scot-free, and that's not fair. But we serve a fair God and a just God. And the Bible says that there will be judgment, so we release them. And in the meantime, you focus on God's peace rather than trying to get even. Let the peace rule in your heart. Now, that being said, that doesn't give you permission to whoever's hurt you or uh, offended you to go to them and say, let me tell you about hell, right? Or, or to say to them, why don't you go to, right? Like, no, let him take care of this in your life. Because the fact is, is that relationships, maybe more than anything else, relationships can tear our heart into pieces. It can rip it apart, but God can glue those pieces back together. He can surround it, he can cover it, and he can put peace over the pieces of our hearts. We have to release those who have hurt us so that God can do some repair in our heart. But there's a second half to this. So we, we forgive those who have hurt us, but but we also, the second half is to, in this step is to make amends to people that we've hurt. You say, is that really, really all that necessary? Absolutely, because unresolved relationships are the root of our problems. 
and they prevent recovery from happening. So you have to take the second half of this step. You have to take this making amends to the people that we've hurt seriously. Hebrews 12 says, Watch out that no bitterness takes root among you, for as it springs up, it causes deep trouble, hurting many in their spiritual lives. He's saying here, the reason you can't get over the habit, that hang-up, or let go of that hurt, is because you're holding on to some unresolved relationship. And those have to be dealt with. And if you're really going to get on your way to this recovery process and experiencing the freedom and the happiness and the joy that God has intended for you, you've got to address this in your life. So how do we do that? Well, we make a list of those I've harmed and what I've done. It's just like the other list, only this is what I've done to hurt somebody else. We, at this point in the message, think, oh, well, at least this one's a little bit easier because I don't think I've hurt anybody. Right? I mean, I'm good. Like this, okay, people have hurt me, but luckily I've not hurt anybody. And so if that's you, if you're thinking that, I just put a few suggestions down in your notes, and I'll just give you a few suggestions that maybe might begin turning the wheels a little bit and, and having us be reminded of some of the things that maybe we have done to hurt others. Is there anyone that I owe a debt to that I haven't yet repaid? Is there anyone I've broken a promise to? Is there anyone I'm guilty of over-controlling, whether it be a spouse, a kid, a coworker? brother, a friend? Is there anyone I'm overly possessive of? Is there anyone I'm hypocritical of? Have I been verbally abusive to anybody or physically abusive or emotionally abusive? Is there anyone that I have not appreciated or not paid attention to or anyone that I've forgotten an anniversary of? Is there anyone I've been unfaithful to or that I've lied to? Want me to just keep going? I mean, that, that probably is good enough for us to begin to think about maybe some hurt that we've caused others. Number two, think how I'd like others to make amends to me. Luke chapter 6, verse 31 says, Do unto others as you would have them do to me. We know that passage of Scripture, so it applies in this case in the sense that if somebody were to come to you and say, I know that I've hurt you in this way, it's good for us to say, however that would look, that's what I want to do. Like, I, I want to do this in such a way that it's respectful, it's humble. If, I were to, if somebody were to come and apologize to me, I would want to do it that way. And there's some things to take into consideration. It needs to be the right time. Ecclesiastes 8.6, there's a right time and a right way to do everything. Like you don't just drop a bomb on somebody. You don't just do it when they're rushing out the door. Or listen to me when I say this, when they're laying their head on the pillow at 11 o'clock at night. Not the right time. Hey, I know you're tired, but I just would really like to talk to you about this and this and this and you're like i'm not doing that i'm going to bed we'll talk about it in the morning it's got to be the right time it's got to be the right attitude ephesians 4 15 speak the truth in a spirit of love how would you like somebody to apologize to you privately with humility with sincerity to simply say what i did was wrong 
and not make justification for it. No excuses. Right? Not, not to talk about their part in the situation. I didn't share this in first service, but I'll share it here with you. That when I was a sophomore in Bible college, is that right? Sophomore, yes, sophomore in Bible college. It was the summer after my sophomore year, actually. Uh, when I was a senior in high school, and I've shared this story a little bit uh, with you in the past, but when I was a senior in high school, I was, uh, I was the ASB president, the captain of the uh, baseball team, the basketball team, and the soccer team. Uh, and which sounds, whoa, our pastor's an athlete. Uh, there was 12 people in my class. There was 96 kids in the high school that I attended. So to be the ASB president, the captain of everything, uh, really wasn't all that awesome. It was just more uh, out of a small pool to choose from. So, but I was, I was, I was, I led our middle school kids as a senior. I led our middle school kids in a Bible study, and uh, ever I was the one in the in the yearbook. Uh, the most likely, not to succeed, because uh, there was only 12 of us, so none of us were probably going to succeed, but I was the most likely to end up in the ministry. Here I am. And, and so I was kind of on this uh, pedestal in some way of spiritualness at my Christian high school, and I ended up in an inappropriate relationship with a freshman. And it was a secret. Nobody really knew about, I mean, people knew about the relationship. They didn't know about the inappropriateness in the relationship. And uh, she was a freshman. I was a senior. I graduated from high school. I broke it off uh, after I graduated because now I'm in Bible college. I don't want a freshman girlfriend. And uh, I was rude about it. I didn't treat her uh, appropriately and uh, just ended it. Fast forward to the summer after my sophomore year in high school, and what I thought was a secret I was going to take to my grave, um, she wasn't going to take to her grave. And she talked to her parents, as she should have, about our relationship. She first talked to this, the high school pastor, who was a very good friend of mine, still a good friend of mine. Uh, he called me while I was uh, on, on my way home and said, hey, I want to meet with you and talk to you about this uh, past relationship. I thought that was in the past. I'd, I had dealt with it between me and God, but I hadn't dealt with it between me and her. I hadn't dealt with it between me and anybody else that I would have heard. And so uh, he calls me, and I meet with him, and he, he basically says, you need to deal with this and address it. Well, she had told her parents. Her parents went to my dad, who was a pastor in a small community, and met with him. I get a phone call from my dad. I want you to come to my office, which was not a regular occurrence in my household where he would call me on the phone and say, I would like you to come and meet with me in my office. Uh, he closed the door, which was never a regular occurrence, and begins to proceed to tell me, ask me if it's true. I confess that it was true. And I had a, uh, her father asked me to show up to her house. And I grew up in rural Oregon, where everybody carries guns, honestly. I mean, you guys think Texas carries guns? Uh, they carry guns up there. And, uh, and so he invited me to come out to his house. He didn't really invite me. He told me, I want to meet with you. And so I met with him and his wife, her mom and dad, and proceeded to sit there in their living room uh, while they yelled at me that I had raped their daughter. And he wanted restitution. He wanted me to make that right. 
and I was bawling like a baby, and I just humbly apologized, and it wasn't enough. He wanted restitution. And so he said, I want you to leave. I want you to go home, and I want you to come back tomorrow. I'm like, you are out of your ever-living mind. I'm never coming back to this place in my life. And the next day, I drove back to their house after praying, and I discovered that there, there's nothing that I could do to change that. Nothing. There was nothing that I could ever do that was going to make that right, even though it wasn't as though they knew it. I knew that there was things about that relationship that, that she was as at fault as I was. But I sat in his living room and I just said, there is nothing that I can do to make this right. All I can do is offer my apology. I am sorry that I hurt you. I'm sorry that I hurt your daughter. And in that moment, a light switch went off in her mom and dad. And they got up and they embraced me and hugged me. They were believers. And you wouldn't have thought it the previous day, but that day they were believers. <laughs> and they hugged me and they said, we forgive you. We give you grace. And I don't know how to explain this other than the fact that in that moment was the very first time. I had been raised in the church. I had grown up. I knew all of the answers. But it was the first time that I had ever experienced true forgiveness and grace in my life. And because of their forgiveness, because of them showing grace to me, I now know how to forgive. And that sounds terribly arrogant, I'm sure. But I wouldn't wish that on my worst enemy, but I would say this, I wouldn't change it for the world because of the forgiveness that I received. So when we come to people, we don't come with this attitude. I could have come in and said, well, your daughter did this, and she was like this, and all of these things. And instead, I just pushed all of that aside and came in with a humble heart and said, I am responsible for this. We have to come with a sense of humility. We can't justify our actions. We do make restitution where possible. But if not, we just come in and humbly say, there's nothing I can do. If you owe somebody money, pay them back. Do the best that you can to pay them back because it gives you freedom and confidence. If you have wronged somebody, do whatever you can to make it right. There was a guy named Zacchaeus in the Bible. He, Jesus came to his house. He was a tax collector. And in those days, the tax collectors were the worst of the worst because those guys would go out. They would shake people down for money. They would give to Rome what they, what they were owed to them, but they'd get as much out of people as they could, and they would keep it. Greedy little suckers. I was going to make a reference, but I don't want to. So, because tax season is coming, and I'll probably get audited. Uh, so... But, but Zacchaeus was a wee little man, right? We know that from the song. And I'm just thinking in my head, like, who's he intimidating, right? He's, sh he's like shaking people down, give me all your money. I'd be like, what? You're out of your mind. I'm not giving you anything, right? But he, the people were scared of him, and they thought he was the worst. And that's who Jesus went to. And in that moment, in his house, having a meal Zacchaeus had his life completely changed. He was changed when he met Jesus. And he said, Lord, I'm going to go out and I'm going to restore, not just give back everything that it's owed. I'm going to give back four times what I took from people. 
and he worked and he worked and he worked to pay people back. And Jesus looked at him and said, salvation has come to this guy. In other words, this guy means business. He's not just talking the talk. He's actually putting, no pun intended, putting his money where his mouth is. He made restitution whenever necessary. Now, the more serious your offense, the light, the less likely you're going to be able to make restitution. There are some things that you just can't restore that you've taken away from other people. It's the circumstance that I was in as a sophomore in Bible college. But with the right attitude, you can say, I'm sorry, I was wrong. I don't deserve your forgiveness, but, there is, but if there is any way that I can make amends to you, I will do it. And you leave it at that. The third thing is it is appropriate. Proverbs says, thoughtful words can wound as deeply as any sword, but wisely spoken words can heal. There are some situations where it would just be unwise to contact the one that you've hurt. The qualifier on this step is accept when to do so would harm them or other people. In some situations, you wouldn't want to go back to it because it would just open up a whole other can of worms. You would potentially hurt some innocent party in the process. You don't want to go back to an old girlfriend who's now married, right? That's going to be problematic. It's going to hurt somebody who wasn't even a part of that situation. You don't want to, you don't want to do that. There's an innocent party in the in the in the situation, and if you are involved in some kind of affair, you don't need to contact that person. So what do you do? You use the empty chair technique. And you can say all you want. That sounds so childlike. That sounds so ridiculous. I'm like, I'm going to go sit in front of an empty chair. I'm just going to say, is it working out for you not doing that? Romans 12, 18 says, if it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. The third thing is we have to refocus our life. Refocus my life on doing God's will starting today in my relationships. That's what recovery, what freedom is all about. It's about starting today. It's the, it's the greatest challenge in this series over the past five weeks is to leave this place and start today. Because we sit here and we'll take notes. We're taking notes. We're writing moral inventories down. We're doing all this. We walk out that door and we don't start. And if we don't start today, we'll never start. We have to refocus our life. Job 11 says, put your heart right. Reach out to God. Then face the world again, firm and courageous. Then all your troubles will fade from your memory like floods that are past and remembered no more. Job gives us just those, those three steps in that process. Put your heart right. In other words, release and forgive people. Reach out to, Christ, reach out to God. Ask Christ in your life. Say, Jesus, come into my life. Reach out to him. Because here's the thing is you can't manufacture enough forgiveness for all the times you're, you've been hurt or you're going to be hurt. You have to have a resource. You have to be able to tap into something other than yourself. And it's Jesus Christ. He daily gives us the forgiveness that we need to let go of 
on a daily basis until it's released. You reach out to God and he gives you forgiveness you thought you couldn't do. And then three, Job says, face the world again. You don't withdraw. You don't hide in your shell. You resume living. You take chances. See, the greatest damage that hurt does to people is it causes them not to trust anyone. And so they put up walls. Maybe you can identify with that, that, that now you won't let people get close to you. you. You have this wall in between you and the world because you've been hurt, legitimately hurt, and you've never forgiven. And that wall still exists. And what happens is when you distance yourself from people and you put that wall there, you begin to withdraw, you begin to isolate. Now you don't have anybody to talk to about it. It leads you into a place of depression or worse. When we do these three steps, Job says, all your troubles will fade from your memory like a flood that was in the past. A destruction that was in your life at one time will now fade away. That's what we want to be free of. We want to be free of the relational garbage that's been in our life for so long. I don't know the mirac- I don't know all of the miraculous wonders and works of God. I don't claim to know them. I don't know how somebody who has been physically or sexually abused comes to this beautiful place of healing outside of God. Because as I said earlier, the damage that has been done to you may be extremely worse than anything I've ever had done to me. The damage you've caused somebody else may be extremely worse than the damage that I've ever caused anybody in my life. I've given you, like, my example. And and I don't mean that. I mean, I've hurt other people, I'm sure. But that is the worst way in which I have hurt someone. So there is extremes in this situation. And, And for me to even stand here and for you to be able to sit there and say, Ryan... You have no idea the hurt that I've experienced. How in the world could you even say that it would fade away? I don't know in some cases if, it, if the memory ever goes away, but I do know the pain can go away. If I didn't, I couldn't stand here and preach this today. I don't... I don't know if the memory will ever fade. I mean, Scripture, Job says, it will begin to fade away. Whether it ever just is gone, I don't know. But I believe without a shadow of doubt, the hope that we have in Christ Jesus is that the pain can go away. I couldn't stand here as a pastor and teach to you about forgiveness if I didn't believe it. Let's pray. Father, this is, a, this is a challenging one. I mean, they're all, they're all challenging in their own ways. But I think this is maybe one of those ones that uh, is an ongoing challenge and identifiable one in all of our lives. Of not just 
hurt that we've experienced, but hurt that we've caused other people. So God, I ask for your grace today. Your grace and your favor in our life. That even in the midst of this message, that all of the the memories that come flooding back, all of the pain and the hurt that's been suppressed but never forgiven, it brings up emotion, it brings up pain and hurt. And God, today I pray for healing in our lives. But I pray for those who have been destroyed emotionally, who have continued to listen to the, to the lies that the enemies used against them. And God, that today they would experience the promise of you. promise of forgiveness, the promise of releasing, the promise of being done with that once and for all. It's hard. Just as you're, as you're praying, I'd invite you to, to begin to write it down on your notes. I need to go to this person and ask for forgiveness. I need to forgive this person. I need to release this person for what they've done in my life. It's hard. It's hard to even put it down on paper. It's hard to see it in black and white. But it's healing. It's the step towards healing in your life. It's the step towards freedom in your life. And then, God, give us the strength to walk out of this place today and start today. And if that means rewinding and going back through the steps or beginning the process of just recognizing, you know what? I am, I'm not God. I can't take these kinds of things into my own hands and earnestly just believe that our God exists and he is greater at all of this than we are. And consciously committing our, our lives, our will to him. Openly accepting our faults, our failures. Op- openly accepting the things in which, the ways in which I've hurt other people. Voluntarily confessing that to others. And then today just recognizing everyone who has hurt me and who I've hurt. And God, let us continue this path towards freedom in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. It was a tough one. Said it was at the beginning. I didn't lie. But it's not going to happen if we don't leave here today doing anything about it. And so I want us to to do that. If I could just encourage you, if I could pastor you through that, it would be to do the steps. You may think I'm absolutely out of my mind to suggest that you would put an empty chair in front of you and you would do anything about that. 
Maybe I am. But I'll take the chance, I'll take the risk that you think I'm crazy if it gets you to do it, if that's what it takes in your life.